Welcome to the Harvest Sound Podcast. For music and mission, truth and prophecy, creativity and compassion merge as one. So we got a dear friend, friend of and family of this house, him and Amy and their beautiful children. Been here for quite a while now. Yeah, like seven years. You're packing some years in here, man. I love it. And uh, but Jason is a mighty man of God, and he's speaking this morning. And um, he also is, and his whole family really are missionaries. They launch on pretty extravagant missionary journeys around the world from time to time. And we're praise be to God, they come back. Right, you you, you come, come you come back, yeah. Like they got that yo-yo thing, they always come back, and we like that too. But they're high impact, and we just love them dearly. So I'm just gonna pray and and loose him to bring the word for this morning. How about that? So Father, we thank you for Jason, and uh, Lord, we just ask you for access to revelation this morning that you'd give us this day our daily bread. Lord, you'd just you'd feed us. Lord, spiritual nutrients and spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know you better through these words, Lord. Bless his, his family now and cover everything that concerns him as he delivers the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Scott. Yep. Well, hello, everybody. It's good to be here right here in Nashville, Tennessee, where everybody in the world seems to want to come these days. You know, it's amazing. You know, I'm in other countries we were literally just got back from England, and our family had an opportunity to be there for a month. We're talking with a lady who's, who was in ministry there, and she hears my accent, and it sort of gives me away. I'm not from England. And uh, she says, where are you from? I says, Nashville. She says, it's on my bucket list. I've always wanted to go to Nashville, Tennessee. I'm like, we're standing here in England, and people want to come to Nashville. But anyways, yeah, so... Uh, my name is Jason. Uh, I do see some new faces, people that don't know me, but as Pastor Scott said, we've been here for some time, um, ordained through this ministry, and uh, been here for seven years now. My wife's Amy. She's back in the back. Hello, Amy. Uh, we have three kids, uh, Judah, Anna, and Serafina, and we do get the opportunity to travel together as a family, and then sometimes I travel by myself, which is, uh, I always like having them with me. Uh, but sometimes the places I go are a bit dangerous, so currently they have not went into the more dangerous areas. Uh, I just wanted to start out by, by, by making a little declaration from the Word of God. And uh, actually, Daniel actually stirred me this morning because I, I may say it wrong, Daniel, but basically he said, you may not, we may not feel you, God, this morning, but you're going to feel us. And I just thought, wow. Because so many times, even though we're in ministry and, you know, people, you meet me and say, oh, man, you're so fired up for God and Jesus. You do all this, you know, cool stuff for God. But, you know, the reality of it is, is, you know, I don't always feel God. I don't always feel so excited to be doing what I'm doing. And a lot of times, you know, you got to just stir yourself up. And so uh, I appreciate you saying that, Daniel. And I really feel like that needs, that's actually a word for probably few people in here right now. You may not feel God in this season right now, but I want you to go after him so that he feels you. 
And matter of fact, God, right now, I know that there's many uh, variety of seasons, the spiritual seasons that people are in. And God, I don't understand why we can't feel you all the time. And I don't understand why certain things happen. But right now, I pray, oh God, that you would fill us, oh God. And so I pray a fresh hunger and a fire Oh, God, into our spirits, over the people that are in this place, God, that you would stir them up. Uh, and it was almost like some people would just like feel like you're just so down, you're in the dust, and you just, just don't feel it at all. You're just depressed, and I've been there. But I want to encourage you to go after God anyways. a matter of fact, I want to make a declaration from the Scripture. Because truthfully, it's really the only truth that we have that's 100% truth. Because what I have found is, is that this life is not easy. And this world is so fallen that tragic, just horrible things happen every day. And if I don't get the word of God in my heart, I'm going to give up pretty quickly and not live the life that God would have me live. And so this morning, I want to declare... Um, it's so funny. You took all the pictures of my scriptures, and I just got one you don't got. <laughs> it's okay, bro. Uh, it's going to be 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, verse 7, and I think I'm going to go to 12. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 12. Um, sorry about that, Wilson. He got all of them, but the one that I decided to come up with and start with, isn't that how it goes? Yeah, God, so we just give you praise. We thank you for this time. We thank you for everybody that's came. And I do agree with Scott that you would just bring revelation and understanding to our hearts of your ways and show us who you are more and more. It says this, 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 4, verses 7 through 12. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that all... To show this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that this life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Now, I'm not going to, right now, I'm not going to get into all Paul's hardships, but Paul's writing this, and I'm going to go ahead and guarantee it. I'm going to ask you, you could raise your hand. I don't know how many people have been uh, hit with rocks and almost beaten to death and then had to be dragged out of your city into another city so that you didn't die. Has anybody been stoned to death almost here? I almost said anybody been stoned, and I thought, you know, that one's, I don't want, it's not confession time. Uh, I'd have to raise my hand on that one, you know, because uh, there was a time when I wasn't serving God and I was doing a bunch of dumb stuff. 
But anyways, I made that to say that, and yet Paul, who has been beaten and stoned and persecuted and so many things that I'm going to share later, still made that declaration. And I want to make that declaration this morning. And I want you to write down 2 Corinthians chapter 4 in those verses. And I want you to declare it over your life because I have a feeling that when Paul wrote this, by the way, most of the letters that Paul wrote, he didn't write from Starbucks or some happy place or wherever you may go to chill. He actually wrote most of the letters that he had from where? From prison. There weren't TVs in his prison like some of the prisons today. Now, prisons aren't, I go to, I've been to a lot of prisons lately this year all over the world. Prisons aren't a, night, a nice place, but I'm thinking that the Apostle Paul's prison didn't have too many amenities. But yet he still wrote this. And so I just want to encourage us with the word of God by starting out that. You know, the reality of it is, and it's tough for me to even talk about. And uh, sorry, Austin and um, Susie and all those that have experienced this and this whole community really. But recently, you know, this community uh, has experienced a tragedy with the loss of Courtney. And uh, if you don't know Courtney, you should have. And I'm sorry you didn't meet her. You meet her one day when you go see Jesus. But... She was probably one of the most awesome persons, people I've ever met. Very anointed and loved God so much. You know, me and my wife actually heard the news when we were in London, and we were on mission, and it was so hard for us to be away. And I'll never forget the moment that Amy found out. She just had the most terrified, saddest look on her face, and I didn't know what it was, and she couldn't talk. And I'm going, what's, what's, what's wrong? I, I, I thought, you know. I'm like, what's, what's wrong, honey? What's wrong? And she, she couldn't talk. And when she uh, finally was, told me the update, it broke my heart and everybody's heart. And I don't want to keep, you know, talking about the sadness and all that because, you know, Courtney's in a better place. But the reality of it is, is this community has really went through a very tragic loss. And um, it's very hard. But, you know, as I've pondered, I literally, I sat in London. And honestly, I was like, you know what, honey? I'm just ready just to come home. I don't want to do this. Let's just go home. Let's be there. Let's, let's go to the uh, c- celebration and all that. But Sorry. But she, uh, but I, could, I kept hearing Courtney going, no, big bro. No, don't, don't quit the mission. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Keep, come, keep going. So we, we stayed in London, and it was very hard to do that, but we stayed anyways. Um, but as I pondered the loss of Courtney, and, and really, you know, it's, it's not just her. There's, there's others every day, all of us in this place, whether you knew Courtney or not. Most of us have experienced tragedy or you're going to. Somebody close to you is going to die. Um, you're going to have issues in life. You know, it, it, we all go through trials is what I'm trying to say. But as I've pondered this about Courtney, I've really began to think about some things with life and ministry and so I just want to share just a few quick things um, over the next 15 minutes or 20 minutes or so uh, that I've learned over the past 20 years of being a believer. I wasn't always a believer in Jesus, but it's much better this way. Um, I became a believer in 2003, actually. So my first point would be this, and it's a very simple point. Life is short. I said life is short and we are not promised tomorrow. You know, the first pastor that I ever had, I gave my life to Jesus in Murfreesboro, Tennessee in 2003. I was a very confused kid, 
I gave my life to Jesus, got filled with the Spirit, got water baptized, and was serving God. And I served at that church, my wife and I, for about a decade. And my first pastor, you know, he understood loss because one morning his wife was backing out to go give their car to a group of missionaries that needed it. And right in front of their house and in front of his two little kids, a concrete truck came and just ran straight over the car and killed his wife right in front of him and his kids. So I came from a church, from a, from a, from a place where we were used to, you know, hearing about tragedy and stuff like that. And so this, this whole idea of life is short and we are not promised tomorrow is so real to me. And when people lose their lives and there's tragic things, it becomes more and more real. But this morning, if you're a believer in this place, I just want to say that, you know what, um, it, there's no time like today. And so I just want to say in light of this, I'm going to share a couple more scriptures, but in light of this, go do what God's called you to do. Just stop playing around with God. If you're in this place today and you're kind of toying around with God, either giving your life to Jesus, being more committed or whatever it may be, or maybe you're a committed believer and you just keep waiting and waiting and waiting to everything works out perfect, and then you're going to step out and do that thing that you know God's put on your heart. Why not start today? And, you know, I understand there's timings and stuff like that, but I think we've, I know I can raise my hand in times past. I get like spiritual procrastination. Like you put stuff off, you put stuff off. God told you to call that friend that's been on your heart, and then maybe they're, he or she's an unbeliever, or maybe you know they need an intervention or whatever it is, and you just keep putting it off. Or maybe it's that family member you know you're supposed to call. It could be something like that. Or maybe it's something bigger. Maybe it's like a life call, and maybe God told you to, you know, Start something. I don't know what it would be, whatever it is for you. Maybe God told you that you're supposed to start going uh, to, to, to play the guitar on, you know, and, and worship Jesus in a public place. Maybe God's told you to go back to school. Maybe God's told you that you need to quit the job that you're at and go get another job. I don't know what it is, but I want to I encourage us all this morning that life is short and you don't have tomorrow, so you might as well go for it. And as I sat in London in that, that, that room that I was in after I found out the death of Courtney, I sat up for hours and I was just thinking, you know what, I'm just going to go as hard as I can after God, doing what I feel he's called me to do until the day that I die. And when we might die in the process. But it's like, why waste any more time? Who could have imagined that we would have lost Courtney? Never. Who could have imagined that my first wife, my first, my first wife, I got only one wife, but my pastor's first wife, my first pastor's wife would have been tragically killed, literally, on the way. And these are the things I can't figure out about God. She's backing out of the driveway on the way to give their only car to missionaries, and she's tragically killed. There are so many things that we cannot understand. But I'm determined that while I have breath in my lungs, and I want to encourage you while you do, that you go do what God has called you to do and quit waiting around for everything to make sense. Psalms 144.4 says this, Man is like a breath. I said, man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. It's 
like a passing shadow, man. And so I just want to encourage us. You know, James chapter 4 says this, 13 through 17. It says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on our business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What's your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Can you imagine? Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Oh, uh-oh. You mean to tell me it's, it's sin even though I'm not necessarily doing something bad? It's actually sin when I know what to do, but I don't do it. And so I'm not coming to get on to anybody or bring too much of a heavy message this morning, but the reality of it is, is sometimes we need a heavy message. Sometimes we need to get stirred a little. It's like the mom, mama bird in the, in, the, in the nest. When the babies start getting too big, guess what mama bird has to eventually do? She starts to make that nest uncomfortable for them. Now, I don't know, maybe some people in this room have been feeling a little uncomfortable. Maybe God's making you that way. I don't know. But I want to encourage you from this place while I have this opportunity to stand before you to do what God's called you to do and realize that you're not promised tomorrow, so you might as well just go for it. It's actually so freeing. It's actually so free when you just go like, you know what, God, all I want is you. You know, I'm just going to go for it. And if it, if it don't work out, then it's, then it's your fault. I mean... If it don't work out, God, you know what? It's your fault. I love you, Lord. I don't know what your prayer is, but that's been my prayer before. God, you know what? I can't figure this out. I don't know why you're telling me to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to step out. And if it don't work out, guess what? It's not your fault. You just do what God's called you to do. Everybody tracking with me? All right. So uh, I want to I move on to my, to my next point, and this is this. So the first one was life short. That's a pretty simple one. It's a short point. The second point, I want to say this. Life has many trials, but they don't last forever. I said life has many trials, but they don't last forever. Everybody in this room is in a different place this morning. Some people are happy. Some people, things are working out. Some people feel on track with God. Some people don't. Some people's lost loved ones. Some people's lost jobs. Some people's got promotions. Some people haven't. You know, there's, there's just a range of, of things that were going on. But what I have realized for me personally over the past 20 years as a believer is, is that when I'm in the midst of a trial or a hardship, most of the time, I seem to forget that it's not going to last forever. And I get so caught up and upset in the moment that I feel like there's no way out. And then I spend longer in that dark place because I'm so focused on what I'm going through that I can't do anything else. Now, I have no clue what it's like to lose a wife. 
Austin could come up here and tell you that. I can't tell you that. I'm just speaking from my experience. So I can't, you know, say, well, Austin ought to do this or somebody that lost their wife ought to do this. I'm just saying for me, I've realized that when I'm in a trial, I get so consumed by that that I can't even do anything else. And for a little while, it's okay. But eventually, you know what? That trial, no matter how tragic it is, with time, things are going to change. And I really feel like that's actually a word for some of us in here. Things eventually are going to change. Maybe right now you have the worst relationship. I just began to start thinking about people. As a matter of fact, I started thinking about daughters and their moms. And I don't know why. But you may either have the worst or the best relationship with your mom. But I just want to say this morning, things can change. And I think that's really what I want to encourage us this morning with this point that life has many trials, but they don't last forever, is, is that what you're going through right now is not going to last forever. And what I found is the trials and the tribulations and, you know, hey, I, I've been through a few myself, you know. I've buried my pretty much one, two, three, four, four of my best friends, you know due to things that were not good that happened. I, I used to live a different life, and I had a different crowd I ran with. You know, I've sat on the front row after I married my best neighborhood friend looking at his four kids, and he just died of a drug overdose, and they're looking to the preacher for answers and to preach a good sermon, you know? I've experienced some trials. I've experienced some pain. And I think about them still. I think about loss. I think about things. I battle with things, but what I've realized is, is that eventually things change. And normally, whatever you've been through, it strengthens you. It makes you stronger in the future. You know, again, I want to look. It's helpful to remember it, when you're going through things, it, it's nice to know that others, you know, maybe have experienced it or maybe they could, you could relate or they could relate to you. And I was just thinking about the early believers and everything they went through. And uh, I was sharing earlier about how I'd get back to the Apostle Paul. And I just want to say that it's helpful to remember that, that we are believers. We're part of a universal like body of Christ all over the world that started you know, the church back 2,000 years ago. And so I think it's helpful to look at what the early believers went through 2,000 years ago, and it helps us to realize, oh, wow, we're all in the same boat, and, and we can relate to it. So I just want to read 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 27 real quick. I'm just talking about trials and that they don't last forever, but I want us to point, I want you to see something here. It says, uh, are they servants of Christ? Says, I'm going to go a little further. It says, I am more. I have worked much harder. This is the Apostle Paul talking again. He says, uh, he's talking to the people in, Cor in Corinthian, in Corinth. He says, uh, I have worked much harder. I have been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers. I have been in danger from bandits. In danger from my fellow Jews. In danger from the Gentiles. In danger in the city. In danger in the country. In danger at sea. And in danger from false believers. 
I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. My man said I've been cold and naked. I mean, I don't know when the last time, man, I was like, oh, my Lord. Can you imagine? That was probably when he was in prison because they didn't care. You know, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 23 through 27. You might want to read that to remind yourself that life is not easy, and particularly the early believers went through a lot as well. You're not alone in your struggle is what I'm trying to say this morning. You are not alone in your struggle. That does not change the pain or the confusion or the aggravation or the frustration or the fear. It doesn't change it, but it may help you to know you're not alone. I want to jump at you here with another point. This is uh, point number three. I want to say this. Uh, God can use your trial for good. I said God can use your trial for good. Romans 8, 28. Maybe some of us could start making this a declaration over our lives. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It says that we know that all things God works for the good of those who love him. The reality of it is, is that we serve a good, good father. The minute I try to start figuring God out and why things happen and why I've experienced this or why others have experienced this, I get myself into trouble because I start to think that I can figure God out. I do not understand why things happen. I don't understand why tragic things happen. I don't understand why some people get free from drug addiction like myself and then the four other people that I buried that I carry so much, even though they had kids and their lives had turned around and some of them even had successful jobs, why they died and I didn't. I don't understand it. And it makes me mad. But the reality of it is, is no matter what I feel, the word of God, if I say I'm a believer in this God and this Jesus, it doesn't change. Our job is just to declare it, to keep speaking it over our lives. And so I'm just here to say this morning, I don't know what you're going through, but God can use your trial for good. You know, as I was thinking about this, this point, I was actually thinking about it, had my phone up at the, at the gym. I had it leaned against the little treadmill there, and I was looking through this, these points this morning, and I got to this point. God can use your trial for good, and I started thinking about my teenage years and about how, matter of fact, I started thinking about how many times my mother would cry and beg me to stop living the life I was living, how she would beg me to come to church, how she would beg me to stop doing drugs, how she would beg me to quit making a fool of myself and getting drunk and in trouble and in fights and running with the wrong crowds and running away from home and wrecking cars and just so much stupid stuff. I was thinking about all that. And then I began to think about how God redeemed that. When I gave my life to Jesus in 2003, within six months, we had been asked to volunteer for the youth ministry. And eventually we became youth leaders of that church. And then God used a, I gave a decade of my life to working with everybody from middle school. We were middle school pastors. We were college pastors. We were high school pastors. God allowed me to give a decade of my life to serve young people. And so I just thought, 
And then what would always happen is the worst kids, like the, the worst kids, the kids that were struggling with drugs or they were struggling with confusion about who they are, identity or whatever, God would always send them. And they would just, I understood what they were going through. I understood the struggle. I understood the things because I had been through it. And so God used that. And I tell you the truth, as amazingly as this sounds, I actually was in the gym and I looked and there was a late, there was a girl who I graduated with high school from in the gym that never seen her there before. And I thought, God, I'm sitting here looking at this point about how you used all my trials. And I was able to look at her and, and remember all the wildness and all the craziness. And, I mean, we were just, we were like, you know, kind of acquaintances. We weren't like close friends or girlfriend or anything like that. But she was somebody who knew me and I knew her. And she knew my life before, G before Jesus. And now she knows my life. She knows my life after Jesus a bit because word spread once I gave my life to Jesus. They're like, you know that drug dealing Satanist guy? <laughs> who was a professed Satan worshiper and was all into the whole, weird, all this weird stuff, dealing drugs to all the kids at school. Yeah, he gave his life to Jesus, and he's a preacher now. And that's kind of how it spread, you know, through the, through the, through the channels there, because that's actually what happened. But I said that to say, I thought it was so amazing that here I am talking about how God can use your trials for good, and then I'm thinking about my teenage years, and then God puts, and by the way, I'm old. It's like I graduated in 1997. So we're talking a long time ago, and then to see this girl this morning when I'm, I'm like, what? It was so wild, it was just God showing. But let me say this. I said God can use your trial for good, but I also want to say this. As humans, I can raise my hand, we tend to get tunnel vision, and we have a tendency to just keep focusing on ourselves. And, and, and what I found is, is that, that, that if we will start to focus on others, it will pull you out of what you're going through, even if it's just temporarily pull you out. And so learning to show interest in what others are going through, even in your pain and in your struggle, has been so helpful for me. You know, like, like show up to something that you don't want to be there because maybe you're not there for you. I said, show up somewhere that maybe you don't want to be there, but God said he wasn't worried about what you felt like today. He's worried about what you were going to give to somebody else. And what I found is that we sacrifice ourselves and we give unto others and show interest in others. All of a sudden, we start to snap out of the way we've been feeling. You know, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. I think I gave you this one. It says this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above our, yourself. Not looking to your own interest, but, but each of you to the interest of others. Philippians 2, 3 through 4. You know, we need to remind ourselves of this. It's like, because it's human nature to, like, self-preserve. It's human nature to think about yourself. It's human nature to be self-centered. We all are. I mean, if, if you say you're not, you're lying. Now, some people have different levels of it. Some people are more, you know, others-focused. Some people are more self-centered. Don't anybody point any fingers at each other this morning. But I want to encourage you, and listen, the preacher's preaching to himself. But I just want to say this morning... Let's look to the interest of others. 
and whatever you're going through. Maybe you need to make a call to a friend and just check on them. You know, I keep getting that this morning. I keep getting that, and maybe it's, it's something that God's stirring in my heart that needs to be done. It's almost like some of us have been waiting, and we, 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 we know we need to reach out to somebody, and somebody's hurting. We may not even know they're hurting, or others may not know they're hurting, but I feel like God's put on some of our hearts. Some of you guys this morning, certain people's names or faces lately, and I just want to say maybe you need to not think about yourself today and go give them a call. I think it would be really helpful. So I'm about to wrap up in, uh, with, with one more quick, quick point. It's 12.04. I don't know what time I'm supposed to be done, Scott. Probably 12. Uh, okay. It says this. Uh, and this is like, this is number four. And again, the preacher's preaching to himself. And really, our society tells us exactly opposite of what this is, what I'm about to say. You're not going to be happy all the time. I mean, I, I'm just going to go and tell you one more time. If you are searching for that elusive happiness that's going to just stay with you all the time, it's not going to happen. Now, you can have the joy of the Lord. It's our strength. But the joy of the Lord doesn't mean that every single day you're going to wake up and you're just going to be so chipper and you're just going to be so excited and happy and everything's just great. If you are searching for that elusive thing called continuous happiness, I'm so sorry. You're going to tie yourself out. But the truth of the matter is, is that <laughs> you'd probably get tired of it. and People would probably get tired of you, honestly. Happiness is not the goal in serving God. Now, serving God can bring happiness. Serving God can make you feel better. But the things that you do in this life for God are not necessarily, the goal is not necessarily happiness. The goal is obeying and letting God do the rest. I said, you're not going to be happy all the time, and it's okay. So you know what I've learned to do? This is what we call it in my house. I'm a bit of an extreme person, so I'm kind of, you know, yeah, I'm just a bit of extreme. So what, what that means is that I have really high emotions, and I have really low emotions. I'm not sort of an in-between type person. I'm either, I'm either like going as hard as you can, or I'm like out, sick, can't get up, wore out, you know, like I was after a month in England. I just was sick, and I couldn't get, get going. Um, but what I've learned to do is we call it riding the wave. Oh, Amy's laughing. She's like, oh, Jason, you got to ride the wave. Sometimes you're, you can't trust your emotions. That's why you got to get back to the Scripture. And so I just want to say, like, you're going to be able to experience happiness in God, but you're not going to feel it all the time. We all know that. But I feel like if, if we need to be reminded that it's okay to not be happy all the time. You're not always going to feel good. You're going to get sad. Some people have other issues, mental issues. that You have severe depression, things like that. That's a different thing. But I'm just saying, like, not going to be happy all the time. So uh, basically I'm wrapping up, and I just want to say, after saying all this stuff and the points about life and the four points that I shared, uh, kind of my conclusion of I, as I've pondered life and the brevity of it is this. I've decided that it's best for me that I don't try to figure God out or even understand why God allows certain things, but only to choose to make a, tr to make a choice to trust Him 
no matter what I may be going through. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this, and it's the last thing I'll say today. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and your paths, and He will make your path straight. I'm here to say this morning, God's on your side. God, I come before you this morning. God, admitting to you that I have been frustrated, can I have been upset by current circumstances in my own life and things that I've seen and, and the losses that I've spoke of even today, right here in my community, God, God, I've been upset, I've been sad, I've been grieved. And I don't understand why people have to go, and I don't understand why people die. And I don't understand why mass murders happen and people die of cancer. I don't understand all these things, God. I don't understand the ups and the downs of life. And I have a feeling that most people in this room have struggled with it too, God. But God, this day, I want to make a prophetic declaration over this house. That we will trust in the Lord. We trust in the Lord with all our heart. And we lean not on our own understanding. God, this day we submit to you. And we make a declaration from this house that you will make our paths straight. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Such a good word. Anybody receive that word here this morning? It's very timely, I think, what you brought, Jason. And you know, the Lord was speaking to me this week about um, a form of selfishness that like you were touching on, how we can be selfish, just our human nature. By nature, we're selfish. That's why we need to become Christ-like. But a, a form of selfishness that I think possibly is the worst, the one that steals the most from us, that steals the most time, that makes us ineffective and unproductive and uh, even no fun to be around, is self-pity. Self-pity. And it really is... Um, I read a devotional this week, and it was talking about how self-pity is, is like a bottomless pit, a slimy bottomless pit. I mean, you can just keep going all the way, and at the bottom of that, you know where that leads, suicide and utter darkness. But self-pity can just steal from us and steal time. And I, I believe that one of the points that you were saying of just learning to serve someone else or reach out to someone, sometimes that's... That's your way out. <laughs> just like you're just stuck on maybe your, our own situation or problems, and, and we can just get caught in a cycle, a selfish cycle. And God might not be answering the questions we're asking at that moment. But we can just begin to reach out to someone else, and it breaks the cycle. Selflessness is the way out of the, the bottomless pit of self-pity and serving someone else. And we think of David where he said Psalms 40 verse 2 and 3 where he was really going through it just like 
Paul went through it in such an extraordinary way. But David says that the Lord lifted him out of a slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire, and set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. Think of the difference of that, just the slimy pit. I remember when I was a kid, I was doing this uh, construction, and we had this this big uh, cylinder. It was about half the size of this room, giant cylinder. And it was, we would just dump all this garbage, and, and we called it the slop because it looked like a swamp. It had all this liquid and probably chemicals. Who knows what I was dealing with back then, but... But anyways, we would dump everything there, wheel, wheelbarrows full of stuff and just dump it in the slop. And it was just, it was literally green. It looked so nasty. But I remember one time I was walking across a board and I was just, I had to get something or move it off. And I was walking across and, and the, the board started to, to literally crack. And I was, I remember my brain going, no, there's no way I can fall in there. There's no way I can fall in that, in the slop. There's just no, I mean, it was like slow motion. I was like going, no, there's just no way. It can't happen. Like, but yet I was going. I was on my way down. And this big, big old construction worker guy, I was just like 14-year-old boy, grabs me, like literally grabbed my arm as I was going down. And it was dangerous. There was glass and broken everything in there. And, uh, and he grabbed me and just snatched me out. And, and they put me on solid ground. And he's like, he's like, boy got to watch yourself, you know? And, uh, and so it's just such a picture of how the Lord, he, he, he snatches us out of that pit, out of that selfishness, out of that mire, and, and, and he sets us on, a, on solid ground. And, then it's, and he doesn't end there. David writes next, he says, gives me a firm place to stand. And he says, and then he puts a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. So he, you go from like utter bottomlessness, uh, loss of vision, loss of hope, falling into a place of despair to the, the rescue operation of God. And it happens time and time again in our journey of faith. And he pulls us out again and again, and he puts us on a solid ground. And then he gives us a song. He puts a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. And he says, many are going to witness this. Many are going to be benefited from what just happened in your life where it looked like you were going down for the count, but instead God snatched you up one more time, set you in a high place, and you began to give him praise. And that's the pattern that God wants us to keep coming back to because the devil don't play fair. If he can't get you with one thing, he's... He's conjuring up something else to, to take you out or discourage you or, or make you uh, in a constant place of, of uh, loss of vision and procrastination. And, 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 uh, but th- this was such a powerful word to just spark that life is so precious. Every day is a gift from the Lord. And that we, we, we really need to take to heart the fact that He's rescued us. He's snatched us from utter demise and has put us on a high place, but it's not just for our own self to just dust ourselves off and go, I'm good, I'm good now. No, it's, he puts song and praise and a, a, a witness and a, and a testimony in our, in our life, and many are going to hear because God rescued you and 
Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Woo, come on, someone. So I, we're just going to sing this song, and I just feel like maybe some of you want to even come to the front and just get off any mire, anything that's been trying to hold you back from, from that place of freedom and joy and praise and effectiveness. If you want to come, we're just going to allow this song to minister. But we felt like this was important to sing this morning. And, uh, and we're going to end with that. But if you need prayer, you can come up here. And if you need prayer, just put your hand up. Someone, will, One of our team, our staff will also just come and pray. But we're just going to have about 10 minutes of ministry here. We're going to sing this song over you guys. And uh, we're going to let this word soak in. And uh, Lord, we just thank you. We trust you, Lord. We don't lean on our own understanding. We don't want to do that, Lord, because you're, you, you are beyond your greatness. Who can fathom, Lord? We can't understand your ways. We get glimpses of understanding and knowledge. And, but there's some things that are just, we're going to have to have a conversation in heaven on, on why things went the way they did. But Lord, we just say you are awesome and we love you, Lord. And out of our love and adoration for you, Lord, we rise again. We rise again. We rise out of selfishness and self-pity and, and uh, confusion and disillusionment, Lord. We don't receive that, Lord. Give us a clear path, a path of life, and put a song in our mouth. Give us a hymn of praise to our God that many would see and hear and put their faith in him.